Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, brought to you by the parent company, Grow Program. Grow Program helps agents utilize online tools to help market and brand their agency online. Find out more information at www.growprogram.com. Also remember, we have a very strict antitrust and comments policy. You can find those policies online at agentsinfluence.com. Now let your voice be the sound of your feet upon the ground. Let's go. Hey, once again, this is Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. And uh, once again, as always, you're going to love uh, the individual that we've got on the line. Um, I would just want to, before I get to him, I want to thank everybody for out there for listening. This is the month of where we're going to be finalizing technology. Uh, we had back in April technology, uh, which was used in your office procedures and workflows. And the month of May, we did technology, which was used into um, your social, your digital media, your marketing, your branding of your agency. I uh, heard nothing but great reviews about that. And now this month, we're going to close out technology with technology going forward. What does the agent of the future look like? What does the consumer of the future look like? And what does the industry of the future look like? Not only in the way that we operate with each other, but obviously technology is going to play a huge part of that. So it's not all technology, but it is technology going forward, we figure, will be a huge part of, of everything that we're doing. So once and to get into it, uh, we're going to talk now um, with Mike Manus. He is from Square One Consulting. You can find him at www.squareoneconsulting.com. He also has a blog, which is uh, www.tomorrowbyintelligentdesign.blogspot.com. So that's tomorrowbyintelligentdesign.blogspot.com. So um, we'll start, just get right into it. Mike, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jason. I look forward to this conversation. I do as well. And if you could, could you give us a 20-second uh, uh, thing of who you are and uh, just give us a little little behind the scenes before we get right into it? Jason, I've been in this industry 40 years, 20 years as a consultant, 20 years, the first 20 years as an agency uh, operator, producer, uh, product designer, uh, marketing coordinator. In that time as well, I spent 10 years teaching risk and insurance at LSU, and I have been engaged in, because of that role at LSU, I engaged in a significant amount of public policy work, uh, commissions and blue ribbon task force for the governor, for the attorney general, for the state legislature, for LSU, for the commissioner of insurance. Uh, in Louisiana, we have far more uh, insurance challenges than most, and so there's a constant political side to it where they're always looking into what can be done. Uh, the pain index for homeowners and the pain index for automobile, we're always number one, two, or three in this in the country. And uh, right. hurricanes and tough legislation area down there. Yeah, that's right. Litigation and legislation, we stay in a mess. Yeah. So why I asked issues. you to be on, Mike, is I had heard about us, uh, heard about you from uh, George Nordhouse does the uh, little three-minute uh, podcast every Monday morning. I don't actually know how I found that. 
Um, and I got to tell you, I uh, I really wasn't, I didn't listen to it a lot at the beginning, but after a while I started listening to it. Now it's like religious. I can't wait until Monday morning when it comes in. And I had, he talked a little bit about you um, because he likes talking about the, the future and different types of things. And so when I got on your squareoneconsulting.com, I read over some of your stuff. I was fascinated. So here's what we're going to talk about, everybody out there. We're going to talk about what he calls the intelligent design. And that is going to lead into the agent of the future, the consumer of the future, the industry of the future. That may get mixed around. But obviously, technology is going to play a role in that. So we're not going to just tackle technology. We're going to talk about what all those things look like in the future. And obviously, with technology becoming a big part of our life every day, it's going to weed into that. So why don't we start out, Mike, by you telling us what you think intelligent design is. And uh, just go ahead and let the listeners uh, hear your genius. Thank you, Jason. What I think technology is, and, and tomorrow by intelligent design is, it's venturing into the future and defining what the future will be and then looking back at your own organization and say, what parts of that do I need to carry with me into the future? Let me explain. Agencies, uh, Peter Drucker used to say often, whom the gods wish to destroy, they send 40 years of prosperity. The agency <laughs> system has been very good for very long. That being the case, the vast majority of agents want to manage their prosperity. They want to continue to do what they've always done. They want a to-do list, just help them organize, continue to be profitable. The reality is the marketplace that agents work in, the demographics, the global marketplace, technology, is changing the world. And what you've done in the past will not work in the future. And so what I believe successful agents need to do is shake off being dumb, fat, and happy, venture out into the world, look at, stand in 2020 and look back at today and say, based on what I'm discovering in 2020, what do I need to bring with me? What do I not need? And how do I shape it to be a factor in 2020? It's pioneering. It's discovery. It's taking the risks that Columbus took. It's going to stake your flag on the moon. I don't want to be over dramatic about this, but that's the world as I see it. It is designing and developing the future as it will be, not trying to drag the past with you. Jason, I spoke two Thursdays ago to the Louisiana Bankers Association at their annual state convention uh, in Las Vegas. If I'd been speaking to the IIA or the PIA, I would have delivered the same introductory message. I told them these were community banks who were probably 50 or 60 represented. I said, many of you are in hospice today and don't even realize it. <laughs> they, they, they laughed. It was a little more nervous than your laugh, but they laughed. And the handout I left with them was just a PowerPoint slide, and on one side of the slide it said today, and it had the little nail that we have on top of our desk, and on it was a to-do list. And I said what most people want is a to-do list. The tomorrow half of the slide showed blueprints. And I said it is about designing and developing the future. Here, I guess we'll, we'll come to the, the nut of the coconut, if you will. I think most agency owners 
occupy the role of both both a manager and a leader. And in my opinion, those are very distinct roles. The leader's job is what Stephen Covey said. The leader said the leader should begin with the end in mind. That's tomorrow. That's 2020. The problem is the manager has to begin with the beginning in mind. The manager's focus is one thing on today. He or she's got to perform on the desk. They've got a budget. They've got somebody who's just quit. They've got 15 employees waiting in line to complain about what Mary Lou or Bobby did wrong to them. They've got cash flow issues, got budget issues, got tax issues. They are totally buried. And inside their existing culture, there is so much smoke and mirrors that even if he and she wanted to look out the window of the future, they couldn't see clearly. I agree. The leader, you can't get to the future from where you are. You have to go into the future and look at what's there. Discover what's going to be there. Look hard at what the technology will be, what the demographics will be, what the marketplace will be. And then say, what do I need now in 2020? What do I build? What can I go back and get and bring forward with me? And what will not make the trip? To discover 2020 and 2019, it's too late. There's too much adjustment that needs to be done. So if I'm one of those um, people and I'm sitting in a smoke and mirrors and I'm, 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 I am, I'm an agency owner, Mike, and I'm, and I'm bogged down, um, you know, and I need to go to the future and I've decided that I'm going to concentrate over the next coming months in taking time to not work in my business, but work on my business and, and, and get out in front. Um, what, what are the things that I'm needing to be? Who is... Let's start first of all. I guess it might tell me if I'm wrong. When we talk about who the agent of the future or the insurance industry is of the future, we probably need to define who the consumer of the future is going to be first. Am I wrong about that, or am I right? That's I, I totally agree with you. Now, look, we both may be wrong, but I totally agree with you. What has happened historically? The power has rested in the carrier's hands. And the carriers delegated that power to the agent who was the intermediary, and the agent hand-carried the products of the carrier to the marketplace, told consumers, open your mouth, I'm going to shove a shelf product down your throat. Yep. Tomorrow, consumers have absolute and total control. It's a global marketplace. They have unlimited options. I'm going to guess this was 15 years ago, Jason. I read an article. I cannot remember who wrote it. And it talked. It was a, a, a futurist talking about the bow tie industries. He was talking about law, engineering, accounting, insurance, where we sell knowledge. And he said the job today, now this was 15 years ago, of the bow tie industry for success is to keep your clients stupid. They become absolutely addicted and dependent upon you to provide them the knowledge that you have and that they need. He said in the future, all the knowledge they need is there. The good news for you, the bow tie industry, is that there's more knowledge than they can manage. So you can help them be smart. Your job is to no longer have you make them smart. Uh, have, have your job is no longer to keep them stupid. Your job is to help them become smart. And what I believe 2020 is going to require, because of mass customization and the ability to create whatever you want on demand, 
Look at 3D printing today. Yeah. Is your job is to ask the client no longer to open up your mouth side, shove a, a product down your throat, is to open up your mouth, tell me what you want and need, let me go build it, and I'll bring it back to you. Our job in the future is to let our clients make us smart. I believe today's world of agency is product-defined and producer-defined and product-defined and producer-driven. It's all about us. And tomorrow's world will all be client-defined and client-driven. That is a huge step. I have a, a dear friend who I've worked closely with who doesn't know anything about insurance. This individual has as good a people skills and as much discipline and determination as anyone I've ever met. And this individual has reached out to clients, large clients, and said, let me become an expert in you. I have a room full, a house full of technicians in the agency that I work for. And based on your wants and needs, I'll bring in the appropriate technician. I'll work for you, and the technicians will work for me. The reception this individual has gotten has been amazing. The problem is the producer that this individual, the technicians that this individual is bringing in, attempt to sabotage them. This, the process, yeah. attempt to sabotage the process because they can't give up the control of being the producer. It's good to be king. Yeah. Now, I know, Jason, I am making some of your clients mad, some of your listeners mad. But as I often would tell physicians when I used to work with the HMO Association, talk about change in health care, is the physician who finds your cancer your best friend or your worst enemy? True. Good, 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 good point. So, yeah. now the way, I think the minute we start talking about intangibles, most people shut down. Most people like to deal in concrete. I love to deal in concept. And I think most people become overwhelmed because there's too many moving parts in the industry today, and we ain't seen nothing yet. So there's going to be a lot more moving parts in 2020. So the way I, in my simple mind, have attempted to make this a manageable process. The categories that I talk about, I try to chop 2020 into four pieces. And those are tomorrow, talent, touch, and technology. But when I, spend te when I spell technology, I don't smell, spell it the way most people do. I spell technology, T-E-C-H dash, K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E dash Y. And I believe it is that spelling and this redefinition of technology that's going to be important in tomorrow's world. And just to answer this now, so if we come back to it later, we, we haven't lost the thought. When I talk about T-E-C-H, I'm talking about all the, everything from an iPad to an iPod to an iPhone to uh, the data that is processed there. It is all the stuff that happens, the Internet, all the E's and the I's that you can think of, both current and yet to be determined. Knowledge is what I'm talking about, is the wisdom, the gray hair, the scar tissue that the Mike Manuses and the other people who have been in this business 40 years know about the business, the industry, the industries we serve, the clients, people, and life. And the why is representative 
of the question why. And the biggest challenge I think we will face in tomorrow's world is what's becoming the topic du jour today. It's about the issue of the generational warfare that exists. I'm a baby boomer. I am proud of being a baby boomer. I will stand by my wisdom and my knowledge in any group and feel comfortable. There are 20-year-olds that roll their eyes when they hear me talk in the meeting. They know everything about the world of E and the world of I, and they have no knowledge. I'll give you two quick verifications of my opinion. One is a woman friend of mine who heads up one of the leading distance learning uh, colleges in the country. She says, Mike, they're brilliant. They know the machinery. They know the process. They know the, I use machinery. That's not the, the technology in traditional spelling. But she says they have no empathy. I'm friendly with a man who heads up uh, the advanced placement program at an elite uh, private school in Tennessee. He, ha- he handles all the honor students. I said, tell me about the typical 16-year-old honor student in a high school, an elite high school today. He said, Mike, they're brilliant. They can make this machinery talk. They know it all, but they have no knowledge. They Google everything. Wow, yeah. And the other thing that aggravates the old people, we stood quietly and waited for the the elders of our tribe to pass their knowledge on to us. When we attempt to talk to these young folks and show them what we know, tell them what they know, what we know, they ask why, why, why. Drives us crazy. (laughs) Both sides need to ask why. And we need to ask why in the context of why, what are the questions that the clients want answered in the future? So the elements are tomorrow, talent, technology, and touch. Because you can remember, uh, I don't know your age, Jason, but John Naisbeth wrote the first megatrends, I think, in 1990. It might have been 1980. I'd have to go back to my bookshelf and find I still have a bookshelf. Something that has been lost on the (laughs) And in it, he said, one of the most critical sentences, he said, the more high-tech we have, the more important the touch will be. And so the human element is still critically important. And I personally, and this is a personal statement, I personally pray that I can learn one-third as much about technology as a 20-year-old knows today, but I pray that they can learn 50% of what I know about the human touch. Because I fear we are raising individuals, and this is going to make them mad, and organizations that are zombies. Yeah, wow, that that's very true. Now, would you say that, I mean, your generation, when you were, I'm 35, and you were my age, or maybe even a little younger, you, I mean, I understand, you, you said you waited for them to pass down the, um, the, the knowledge uh, from the tribe elders down to you, yep. but, I mean, there was also a lot of, of ask why as well. I mean, I think every, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking, I can't remember, I think it was, uh, if it was JFK or Robert F, or Robert Kennedy who said, uh, don't you see something and you ask, you know, what or Why? something. Yeah, and Robert said, Kennedy said, I see things, uh, most people see things as they are and ask why, I ask why not. Look, the baby boomers were also the hippies. We challenged everything. We said, don't trust anybody over 30 until we became 40. 
<laughs> we were the me generation, so we had our flaws. We 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 sat in on college campuses and we protested, and the ladies burned their bras, and uh, we were the free love. So I mean, we weren't without sin. But once we entered the marketplace, once we went through the maturation process, we said, "I know that I'm gonna start at a at a producer role." If I get good, I might be made department manager, and then at some point in time, I may be able to own the agency. If I start as a CSO, I might move into an account executive, and then I might take over the commercial lines department. There was a pecking order, and there was a willingness to wait. The younger generation, as I read it, and I'm holding in my lap, I walked over to my desk to get it. The May, I think it's the May 20th, uh, 2013 edition of Time Magazine. The cover story is the me, me, me generation, and it says on the front cover, millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. Then the next line says, why they'll save us all. It's a powerful, it's a powerful article. I'd encourage everybody to get it and read it. I am not dismissing the importance of the, of the young people into our future. They are the future. But if I could grab them and shake them, I think I could help them get there quicker, even though they would resist the help. Makes sense. And I think the answer of this generational warfare is a cross-mentoring. We bring in an 18-year-old young lady or young man, and we walk him over to Miss Patsy's desk, and Miss Patsy's been in agency business 50 years. And Miss Patsy knew it all because it was very simple at the time it was very simple at the time when Miss Patsy started, and she literally knew everything that you have to do for every line of coverage for every company it was. Today it would be absolutely impossible for anybody to have that degree of knowledge. And so you run into the situation where Miss Patsy's of the world could give a lot of experience and teach a lot of shortcuts and a lot of culture and history to these young people. The dilemma for the young people is, is they won't listen. And Miss Patsy won't share, honestly, because she's afraid these young people are going to take their job, her job. And so uh, there's, there's so much sabotage that goes on. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So, and, so when we're looking at going forward, you know, when you talk about the, the thing of mentoring, but you're talking about sabotage at the same, at the same time, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you. It's weird because I think a lot of the listeners are doing the same thing, Mike. When they're talking, they're putting themselves into the position of what you're saying into their agency. Because I've got to say, I mean, I, I, I waited around for seven and a half years to become um, not so much an agency owner, but just to have some say in an agency. And, and I guess, you know, I'm right up the line of, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I, I am very impatient. So that's why I went and started my own agency. And I, I, I equated it to be the fact that I'm a chief and not an Indian. And maybe that's true and maybe it's not. And I think it's a different way we look at it. But one thing I want to say that when you're talking about about growing up and, and sabotaging and mentoring, mentoring is what I wanted to mention. Yeah. I was at the uh, Big Eye, uh, the uh, legislative um, thing, um, the legislative conference, uh, back in April, and they, the uh, Big Eye Executive Committee took all of us young agents and put us in a room and asked us a bunch of questions for an hour and a half, which was awesome. And one of the things that we heard the young agents, they asked them about what they see the industry being, what the association will be, yada, yada, yada. And one of the things that came through a lot was the, was the topic of mentoring for the young agents saying that to the older agents. And, and when I say older, you know what I mean. I'm not being rude. It's, there's, no other way, there's no other way to say it, okay? The 
more experienced, uh-huh. tenured veteran agents. Uh-huh. There you go. Um, and so, and the the veteran agents in the room, you know, were were dumbfounded because they kind of thought to themselves that, okay, we understand mentoring is 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 important, but it seems like we try to give that mentoring, but yet you don't want to accept it because of the things that you're saying right now, Mike. So, I mean, not trying to put you on the spot, but what is the uh, the magic wand there that we wave to say? here's the way mentoring needs to be done or here's the way we need to go about that so that we do pass that um, information, number one, down to the younger, but also to get the younger to actually listen and absorb it without sabotaging. Well, well and I haven't been clearly clear enough because what I should have said is not mentoring but cross-mentoring. You did say that. If, what do you mean by that then? By cross-mentoring, we have as much to learn from the 18-year-old as the 18-year-old ah. does from the 65-year-old. Yes, okay. And if we, instead of telling let me tell you what I can tell you, boy or girl, we say, help me understand this. And the minute they engage with us peer-to-peer or superior-to-subordinate, because if it comes to using, I'm held captive by an iPad. I bought one a year and a half ago, and sometimes I can get on it, sometimes I can't. I'm still impressed by carbon paper. In technology's world, <laughs> traditional spelling, I need them much, 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 much more than they need me. But if I engage them respectfully and, and, and show my appreciation for what they helped me learn, then after we're finished, they might sit down in the, in the mellow glow of their success helping some dinosaur out of the Stone Age and say, well, tell me some stories, Mike, about the old days. Right. And, you know, you talked about your, the Young Agents Conference you just went to. This resonates in my mind, and it'll speak to the last topic of how the industry will change. In 1975, I attended a Young Agents Conference in Lafayette, Louisiana, and it was the first Young Agents meeting I ever attended. And the speaker was either Philip Russell or Russell Phillips. I can remember the, those two names. He at the time, if I remember correctly, was the CEO or chairman of the board of Crum and Forster. And he walked to the podium and said, let me tell you boys and girls one thing. He said, you will hear during your entire career the relationship that exists between insurance companies and their agency force. You'll hear it referred to as relationships or marriage or intimacy or all this other stuff. He said, understand one thing. I'm a CEO of a company, and I know all the other CEOs of all the other major companies. We would get rid of you guys and gals in a heartbeat. We just fig- hadn't figured out how. He said, we'd deal with the devil, Idi Amin, or Hitler if we thought we could make more money than we do with y'all. And we want to get rid of you. We just hadn't figured out how. That was the most honest man I've ever met in this industry. Wow. 